the top international cricketers are actually really pure souls friends to me now yuzvendra chahal kl rahul and ishan sharma why has god only chosen these souls so what god's will were creating drugs meat and alcohol if i asked you why did the government create prisons in which people have to suffer what would your answer be janmeshwariya shruta shri bhir eidhama namada puman nirvar hatya bidatum ve I think I was trying to focus on healing, but in order to find out what you need to heal inside you, I was trying to look out for what's broken first, and then I sat on that brokenness for a very long time. You can either decide to synergize with the trends of the material world, or you can try and synergize with the trends of material nature. I'm blown away by what you yeah. said. Can you say that line again? Honestly, a big reason I'm bringing up these questions and these topics on this podcast is because I've always felt internally that my soul wasn't ready to take up the knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita just yet. I didn't know why. SB Keshav Swami from ISKCON has spoken about the Bhagavad Gita in today's episode. He's spoken about Krishna consciousness in today's episode. He's answered a lot of my deeper spiritual questions on today's episode. It's another epic spiritual episode. All I'll request you guys, especially if you enjoy the spiritual episodes of TRS, is that you also check out the app that I've been building. It's called Level Supermind. been building it for the last two and a half years but the reason that this episode is special for level supermind as well is because sb keshav swami has collaborated with my team to bring you a detailed series of guided meditations on level if you wish to take your spiritual journey further there's a certain kind of gain that you'll get from podcasts and books and then there's a most significant amount of progress that you can gain through meditation that's what we've been trying to build out at level supermind so the same audience that listens to all these spiritual episodes will benefit immensely from level please download it we've given the links down below and for now let's get back into enjoying the knowledge aspect of spiritual growth with sb keshav swami maharaj on trs Aspikesha Swami Maharaj welcome to the Ranveer show thank you Ranveer it's a real honor to be here and uh, yeah this is where all the magic happens so looking <laughs> forward to the conversation no i love having these kind of conversations with people like yourself and i feel god throws these conversations into my life right when i need them so these are the few conversations that i don't prepare for much and i just kind of lay out what i'm uh thinking about in my real life outside of work and then you guys always have the right answers and you'll correct my path and you'll sort of correct the path of all my listeners as well i think all of us are collectively evolving so and i think the entire spiritual community of the world is helping the evolvers evolve yeah yeah the- questions and answers are so much a part of spiritual communication if you look at the most uh popular and uh yeah uh scriptures in the world they're all usually in the format of a dialogue or a conversation so it's interesting that through podcasts we're kind of recreating that in a modern way yeah um which is why i kind of think that maybe podcasts won't you know dry out anytime soon 
uh i wonder why questions and answers are the best way to extract knowledge honestly rather than just reading scripture have you ever thought of this yeah because everyone is on an individual journey in the bhagavad gita krishna explains that every soul is unique every soul is amazing every soul has its unique abilities and unique journey and therefore although there are universal spiritual truths that relate to everyone what we call sanatan dharma there within that is an individual path and therefore questions allow us to get to the heart of what that individual is feeling on their path and those questions really allow us to then take universal spiritual principles and relate them to the human condition that we're facing now and so i think it really allows us to personalize a philosophy okay yeah. um after dive into a lot of different subjects with you i want to begin with this i've yeah. actually never <laughs> seen this in person i've seen it in photos i don't have much of an idea of what this is so i'm assuming it's a sort of a sadhana that you're doing yeah this is the staff of a renuncia in sanskrit we call it a danda uh the word danda actually means discipline and uh the renunciates they carry the danda is almost like a discipline of the mind um so wherever we go we carry this with us it's made up of three bamboo sticks bamboo is a beautiful kind of uh um a uh, natural resource because when the wind goes through the bamboo it makes a beautiful sound so the staff of the renuncia is bent to signify that they go around making the beautiful sound of sharing spiritual wisdom with people uplifting people's lives and specifically the three rods represent the mind the body and the words and the idea is that it reminds us that our life now is dedicated mind body and words to sharing spirituality with people and trying to make the world a more beautiful place okay yeah but what do you mean mind body and words like how does that manifest in the real world well everything begins in the mind so our thoughts our contemplations our desires then those contemplations usually turn into our words we share those thoughts we discuss them we explore them with others and then eventually leads to our activities so then we do things in the world so the idea is that we try to keep the mind body and words aligned um in a spiritual consciousness in a spiritual direction start with spiritual thoughts express spiritual words and then perform spiritual acts okay uh yeah so i think that's what we're going to do in today's episode my original thought with this conversation was that we'd break down the bhagavad gita and i'm just going to tell you what i felt when i saw you while i know the value of the bhagavad gita and i know how curious people are about it i'd actually like to begin with your story because uh i just know there's some human story behind like the monk life uh, i feel for some reason you've seen a lot in your human journey before the monkhood began um while that is true for many monks i feel some of the monks i've met have had a more unique journey than others especially in the pre monkhood life why do i feel like you've seen pain or something man <laughs> like before like i feel like you've seen like some sort of heavy pain 
um in your human side am i right am i wrong in saying that of course the bhagavad gita explains that our journey in spirituality didn't begin with this life with souls and therefore when we enter this life we enter with a history from previous lives there is what we call a swabhav certain impressions that we're carrying and there's also karma a certain uh reactions and a certain situation a karmic configuration that we're coming into in this life i didn't go through a heavy painful situation okay. not yet okay all right but that's very likely to have happened at some point on the journey of the soul i don't okay. have recollection of that okay my journey in this life began more out of a sense of inquisitiveness all right maybe more a sense of feeling a lack of resonance with the way people were leading their lives and the desires and the goals that they set in their life as success something i just couldn't relate to and there was always something sitting deep within me wanting to know what could be beyond that okay what was your pre mangod life like uh, what was your childhood like where did you grow up uh, also you clearly grew up outside of india so how are you that indian in the first place i'm sorry if it's a rude straightforward question no, man but uh, i'm just curious my parents are from gujarat they came over to london in the 70s so i was born in 81 um born in london in a place called wembley and uh, quite a multicultural place lots of different people a lot of indians as well and i guess growing up i had both exposure to the western world the uh, the modern culture of western civilization what club did you support sorry i actually supported leeds united oh wow yeah. okay okay go yeah. on don't ask me why i just randomly picked them <laughs> <laughs> okay cuz they were on the up in 2001 probably yeah probably okay. How how um, old are you if you don't mind me asking I'm 42 now Okay yeah you look I'm like 42. my age on anyway yeah. no, let's go on 42. Sorry I'm interrupting you I'm just no, I'm curious no. about a bunch of these things Sure sure Wembley Wembley so yeah exposure to the modern western civilization and at the same time growing up with indian roots you know indian food indian household uh and attendance at temples and you know places of worship like that but i think for me when people ask me about what led me towards this life one thing i noticed within myself from a young age was a gravitation towards simplicity i was almost like having a lot of things was stressful for me wearing new clothes was kind of i became very self-conscious once my father he bought me brand new trainers and i felt so embarrassed about walking into school and being the center of attention with something brand new so i remember going into the loft of my house and walking around in the dust just to get them dirty <laughs> before actually going out and wearing them and i used to see poor people on the on the tv you know poverty around the world and i used to feel so bad so guilty about having things so from a young age i always had a an attraction a kind of resonance with simplicity and i think that that definitely is one of the 
one of the driving factors that led me towards monasticism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think when you take up this monk life, there is a huge shift that happens even in the material part of yourself. Uh, what I mean to say is that, say you decide that you want to become a monk, you have to give up your bank account, you have to give up your possessions. That's something that a lot of modern day people probably don't know the details of. Mm. Uh, so one, tell me about that, but also tell me about what led you to actually becoming a monk. Yeah. Well, just on the point of giving things up, yes, when we enter the monastery, the motto is simple living, high thinking. We have a locker and whatever you can fit in that locker is what you possess. We don't, uh, we don't have a bed, we don't have a room. Um, when I joined the monastery, they were like, are you sure? You're not, there's no beds. I told them I'm so tall, I don't fit on any of these beds anyway. So that <laughs> one's going to be easy for me. <laughs> How tall are you? <laughs> Six foot five. Wow. Go on. <laughs> so we sleep on the floor, everything in one locker. Meals in the day are regulated because eating and being regulated in that is a part of self-discipline. Uh, wake up very early in the morning. We sever all connection with the bank account so we don't have access to our own funds. And technology is only what is absolutely required for the communication of spiritual knowledge. Otherwise, we also stay away from technology. And uh, in that way, we try to simplify everything. Okay. Actually, in the material world, they even know about this now. They realize that people suffer from decision-making fatigue. People in this world spend so much time in making decisions about hundreds and thousands of tiny things that when it comes to making decisions about the big things, they're so tired that they don't have the mental and cognitive energy to really think deeply about these things. And so even uh, very, very uh, famous and successful uh, CEOs and executives, they live a very simple personal life because they realize they want to engage their energy in thinking about more significant things. Yeah, I think that's so. what a spiritual journey does to you. Makes you a bit of a minimalist. Yeah. In, in multiple ways. Yeah. Uh, so basically what you're saying is that throughout the day, you do lesser things. You try thinking about lesser things, you save that energy and then make key decisions both in your professional and your personal life. Yeah, yeah. 100%. What led to you making this decision though? In the world today, they have the concept of disruptors, disruptive companies, for example, Apple or Uber or Netflix, they came in and they disrupted the way things were done and they kind of shifted the market. But what I tell people is that there are also spiritual disruptors in the world, saints, sages, what we call in India, sadhus, who come in to our lives and start dropping bombs of wisdom. And it causes some disruption in your life. And basically at the age of 15, I started meeting monks, meeting spiritual people. And they started dropping these bombs of wisdom in my life. And it was beginning to shake my life because I had a certain notion of what the future ahead was. I had a certain notion of what success was. 
And with these bombs of wisdom, they were like decimating the landscape of my future. It was like making me really think about things. Like what, for example? You know, what, what would I do as a career? Uh, would I get married? Is that what everyone's meant to do? Uh, is making money and status symbols, is this the measure of what is uh, gonna really make me happy? All of these things, all of these questions, where am I gonna live? What kind of lifestyle am I going to have? Uh, how should I be perceived by the world? Um, all of these things, they started helping me think in a different way. Okay, but yeah. what were the bombs of wisdom that they dropped on you? The bombs of wisdom was that they opened me up to a new world. Before that, I'd only been thinking about this world but the old words of the scripture were opening up new worlds. They were explaining that there's reality beyond this world. There's identity beyond this material frame. There's purpose beyond the duties and responsibilities of this world and our immediate life. And they began shifting the, the why, why we exist. And that was making me think more broadly before I was only thinking about the how and the what of what I do in this immediate situation, but now they helped me to begin thinking uh, of a deeper why, which helped me to uh, explore newer worlds and newer ways of living. Why do we exist? In the deepest sense to find happiness. <laughs> okay. They asked our teacher, Srila Prabhupada, what is the purpose of life? And he said, to enjoy. And then he said, but you don't know how. Mm. So the scriptures say, that the very nature of the soul is to seek happiness. But if we want to really seek the deepest type of happiness, then we need to get the, to the deepest sense of our own identity, who we are. And so what the disruptors were helping me to do is get to my deepest why. Okay. You see, this is really important. Like if, so, if I say to you, Ranveer, what is your goal in life? And you say, I want to be rich and wealthy. I know this is not the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> I want to be rich and wealthy. But then I'm going to ask you why? And then you may say, well, I really want to go and uh, just be free to go on holidays and vacations whenever I want. And I say, why? And then you say, because I want a life that's fun, exciting and adventurous. You see, just in that small process, the goal of wanting to have a life in which you're experiencing fun, adventure and excitement, that's very different to a, a life in which your goal is to become wealthy. Because there's a possibility that if you haven't got to that deepest why, you could get really wealthy and have a super boring life because you haven't got to the deepest why. And so what spiritual teachers help us to do is get to the deepest why. Okay. Um, so I've had this deepest why question in my mind since I was a little kid. 
and that's probably why i'm doing this show and we bring on so many spiritual people to re-answer that question because it's an extremely long answer mm-hmm. and i've spoken to people of different faiths i've spoken to people from different spiritual schools the one thing i've figured is that you need openness and emotion which i think in our culture refers to the word bhakti mm-hmm. toward the higher power that it will take you to that final answer uh the second thing you need is knowledge vidya which you gain from scriptures or you gain from conversations or you gain from mentors the third is sadhana which is discipline uh in a process now that could be prayer meditation possibly social work i don't know would you add any fourth factor to this am i missing out something am i misguided the fourth factor i would add is seva okay service we find ourselves by thinking of others we tell people you earn a living by what you get but you earn a life by what you give we live to give we are spiritual beings but the very nature of the spiritual being is to serve and therefore when you have bhakti when you have love and emotion in your heart when you have knowledge vidya which is calibrating your vision of life and when you have sadhana which is spiritual practice which is helping you to become strong and determined the net result of all of that is it should result in service in contribution in making other people's lives beautiful and making the world a beautiful place and that for me was really one of the beautiful things about living as a monk not just that i could develop my bhakti my knowledge and my sadhana but that i could then live a life in which i could try to serve the world when you take sanyas it said that the sanyasi gives up the small world of family life in order to embrace the whole world as his family <laughs> and i found in my journey of spiritual life that in service i've had the deepest spiritual experiences how's your viewpoint about family life changed now when you look at it from the outside i feel a little hesitant using the word from the outside yeah uh but now when you look at say people you grew up with who have their families and their children what's your honest viewpoint my honest viewpoint is that in life it's whatever you make of it okay i have friends who have gone into family life and are having like huge struggles relationship difficulties financial problems and factually in family life they're struggling to materially survive what to speak of spiritually explore because life can become so overwhelming but i also have friends who live in a family life who have a partner who's also spiritually inclined and together they're going on a beautiful journey and assisting each other to deeper levels of spiritual discovery um so i think is what you make of it and in every life you live there are difficulties and there are great opportunities yeah even man. living as a sanyasi i have also you know certain complexities that i have to navigate so for uh, example lack of personal space living a very public life 
um, uh, constantly being on call and uh, and these things are also beautiful things as well but they can also become overwhelming as well so it's all about finding that balance yeah uh, I think my recent discovery in this phase of my life has been all about extracting maximum happiness from even small moments because I found myself you know doing my sadhana uh living life with discipline living life with devotion and yet just because of the circumstances of my life the people i met i ended up focusing too much on sadness i think i was trying to focus on healing but in order to find out what you need to heal inside you i was trying to look out for what's broken first and then i sat on that brokenness for a very long time probably a majority of the last one and a half years and only in the last 3 to 4 months i feel something has shifted again as an outcome of the people i met in my life but i've started focusing on moments of happiness where if i'd met you on a saturday morning just like this in this prior one and a half year phase there would have definitely been a voice in my head that would have said oh man have to record on a saturday i'm recording tomorrow <sighs> i guess it's a lot of work and suddenly in the last 3 months my inner voice tells me dude look at your life this is like the best job in the world mm. you're getting to learn for a living you're getting to have these conversations with these people where people die to talk to these people and you're just having conversations like this in your living room so i don't know what happened but the perspective shifted heavily uh it was because of someone i met uh, who just told me that listen you need to do this you, you seem like a really sad person and uh i just like sharing my own evolution story with my audience uh but can you explain what happened spiritually here did i work out some karmas why was that one and a half year phase so heavy mentally because you are an outcome of the people you meet and the circumstances that happened to you so was i supposed to go through all that anyway was i cleaning up something sometimes you have to go through a material breakdown to have a spiritual breakthrough this is exactly what happens in the bhagavad gita Arjun goes through perhaps the most intense time of his life on that battlefield. Doesn't last one and a half years, <laughs> maybe just the twenty minutes. But in those those moments, he's really uh, it really resets his priorities. It makes him look a little deeper. It makes him uh, detach himself and look at his life from a different perspective. And in sadness. in difficulty in challenges and obstacles that we encounter that's the great gift which is offered to us in so much of my travels now one of the concepts i'm sharing with people more and more is how to become comfortable with the uncomfortable that pain is uh something which is helping us to unravel purpose problems if digested in the right way are meant to lead to progress and the uncomfortable situations though it's not something desirable to us it's not also unnatural they're meant to come because it's in that pain that alarm clock you see it's almost you can think of these points in your life like an alarm clock When that alarm clock goes off in the morning it's almost like the sound of like horror. <laughs> But we 
if we're able to respond, if we're able to get our mind together and wake up, then it means we live such a meaningful life. And so, yeah, for sure, I'm sure that that period in your life of sadness was uh, very much required for your spiritual journey. Okay. Um, I've, I've not really understood the reason for it yet. But all I know is that because I've experienced that depth of sadness, now I really appreciate the level of happiness I'm at. And I know the happiness is going to increase even more. Maybe just for the sake of understanding contrast of these emotions. Is it the right kind of thinking? I think so, yeah. I, one thing I'd also like to say is that sometimes you have to figure out in your life what success is not before you can realize what success is. So sometimes we, that failure, that sense of uh, it's not working, that feeling that I have all these things, but something is missing. Defining what success is not is often the step to finding out what real success is. Okay. Is real success all about understanding the nature of higher realities? Success, as I said, is happiness. It's not about knowledge. Knowledge is a via medium to finding love and emotional fulfillment. And so the real success of life is to learn to love. But the knowledge and the understanding of reality and the orientation of understanding who I am, what this world is, who is God, what's my relationship with him, understanding that blueprint of reality helps us to go on that journey of reawakening that love. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about the blueprint of reality? Yeah. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains five topics. And if you understand these five topics, you can unravel any existential question, any existential mystery. The first topic of the Bhagavad Gita is the Atma. We're not this body, but we're the soul. That is in many traditions in the world. Second topic of the Gita is Prakriti, which means the material world. Where is this soul currently living? In the material body, but it's living in the material world. So what is this world? Where does it come from? What are the influences? How does it function? How is it created? Third topic of the Gita, what is the soul doing in this world? Third topic, karma, acting, performing different types of endeavors and efforts. And for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so what is that law of karma which governs our fortunes in this world? Fourth topic, in order for the soul to live in the world and perform karma, the fourth topic is time. What is time? Why does time exist? Time destroys everything. Uh, is time linear or is time cyclical? Time is a fascinating concept. And then the fifth and final topic of the Gita is that outside of this whole reality of these four topics is a completely different reality. And that is Ishvara or Bhagavan or God. And that spiritual reality exists separate from this material reality. 
And the Gita is ultimately meant to teach us yoga, which is the connection of the soul to that reality. Okay. So if you understand those five topics, the soul, the material world, karma, time, and God, then any question that anyone could conceivably come up with can be decoded through that blueprint. I want to take a deep dive into each of these topics, but uh, what I would like to know first is um, this line that I read once. It said that when you read the Bhagavad Gita for the first time versus when you read it as a spiritually advanced soul, uh, you gain at both points in your life. So I'm sure you've been studying it for years now. So at the stage you're at, what are you gaining from it? Because you would know it inside out. You've taught so many people about it. Uh, you spoke about the challenges you're facing about a lack of isolation. Uh, I'm 100% sure that there's a part of you that feels like all this other energy that you know, you're putting into other aspects of your life. It would be great for you to pour some of that at least into your own sadhana. Uh, is that the kind of direction you're getting from the Gita at this point in your life? Yeah, let me say something about spiritual learning. In the material world, learning is like linear. It's like people think they get more and more knowledge. It's like a line like this. But in spiritual circles, learning is like a spiral. You go round and round and round. And what happens is after discussing the same verses, the same stories, the same passages, the same books, Gradually what's happening is one is coming to a point where they're understanding the essence. The essence is actually very, very simple. So for me, if you want to understand the depth of the Bhagavad Gita, it's not just about picking it off a shelf and just academically studying it. Along with studying it, there requires deep reflection and introspection on your life. Like what I've done for 25 years is I've written a journal and uh, I reflect on how I'm seeing the Gita in my daily life. It's profound. Sometimes you can just sit down in the evening and look 20 years ago, what did I write on this day? And you can see the knowledge of the Gita in action. So if you want to understand the Gita, study, add to that reflection. And then add to that application. You got to live it in your life. You got to try and read something and then say, how does this going to change my life tomorrow? How is this going to change the way I interact with the world? You have to apply. And then the fourth thing is prayer. This knowledge is actually not understood by our endeavor. It's actually something which is awakened from within by divinity. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says in a beautiful verse, Sarvasya chaham ridhisani vishto mata smritir gyanam apohanam cha. From me, dwelling in your heart comes knowledge, remembrance, and forgetfulness. So, revelation of spiritual wisdom is actually requiring also divine uh, participation from within. It's like a ticket that God gives you. Yes. But you have to endeavor, you have to desire, and you have to also do your part. What's your part? Your part is to do those other three things. The study, the reflection, 
the application and then the revelation will come from within. Mm. It's like you can you can imagine between you and God there are 100 doors and you can open 99 of them but the last one is locked from the inside and there you have to patiently wait. Okay. Ah. Uh, before we move forward I'd like to know what the sadhana of a monk is like. Like the kind of meditation you do, the kind of prayer you do. Uh, I don't know, it's just my own curious uh, question. But uh, how do you go about this? I actually want to deep dive into the Bhagavad Gita more. But I think this is a great base to begin with. It starts very early in the morning. Of course, in spiritual culture, we understand the value of rising before the sun. The sun represents energy. So when we rise before the sun, when we rise with the sun, as the sun is rising, then it also allows that energy to be infused within us for the day ahead. So we always rise before the sun and be there for those moments. In those moments before the sun rises, we meditate. When an archer is about to release a, a, an arrow, then the first thing the archer does is pull back. Because when we pull back, although it seems like you're going further away from your target, it allows you to generate power, it allows you to direct, and it allows you to then know when to release for maximum impact. So if you want to have maximum impact in your life, that time when you meditate, you can liken it to a bowman taking the arrow back. So we meditate, we disconnect from the world. And by disconnecting from this world, we disconnect, we connect with the spiritual reality. We connect with our first identity, which is to be a spiritual being. We connect with our ultimate journey, which is that we're spiritual beings on a journey towards the spiritual world. So meditation is help, meant to help us instill this vision of eternity first thing in the day. Because then what happens is after you've joined what I call the 5 a.m. club, when you hit the 9 a.m. reality, you're hitting the 9 a.m. reality with a deeper vision because you've taken that time to uh, orientate yourself. So we meditate. The type of meditation we do is something called mantra. Mantra, most people are familiar with. Mana means the mind and tra comes from trayate, which means to free. Literally a sound vibration which frees the mind. Sound is incredibly powerful because it awakens a consciousness within us that is inaccessible at the current moment. It's kind of been covered over by different things. You're saying our voice box is capable of creating these energy waves which actually change something inside us. Yes. The mantra is a sound vibration. Like, for example, if I played one of your favorite songs from 20 years ago, as soon as I play the song, what would happen to you? You'd go back to that time. Go back to that time. You'd remember people of that time, memories of successes or failures, emotions, uh, smells, sounds, all of it is triggered by sound. And therefore, that spiritual sound helps us to realize that um, we're just in a transit lounge. This life is a flash in eternity. <laughs> we're just here for a chapter and then we're going to move on. And we get so caught up 
we get so entangled, we get so engrossed in this temporary chapter that we forget the bigger picture. We're just here for a chapter. Just here for a chapter. Yeah, just passing through. And um, so meditation in the morning, not just for monks, because how many people live as monks? Maybe a handful. Most of us are living in the world, but they can also do. They can also wake up in the morning. They can also decide to rise before the sun and disconnect from the world and connect with their first identity. And if they do, when they hit the 9 a.m. reality, they don't need to then be dragged down into what I call the dogfight of this material world because they're looking at it from an elevated vantage point. Okay. Uh, I have questions about the 5 a.m. club. Okay. Uh, it's something that I've wanted to be a part of all my life. And I know I'm not just speaking for myself. There's a lot of people, at least my age, I'm 30 you now. A lot of us are switching out of this 20s mentality and trying to figure an even more adult form of adult life. One of the things I wish to do is actually be a part of this 5am club, wake up early, but it just seems so hard. <laughs> so how much of a difference does it truly make to actually do that? How much time will it take for me to switch? Uh, and I don't know what else do I need to know before I actually make that switch, especially from a spiritual perspective. I've kind of understood the benefits in theory, but tell me more. Any habit to form, it takes time. They say 30 days in the world, some more, some less. To become part of the 5 a.m. club and to instill that habit is going to require some determination, some discipline. It's going to require a little bit of a push in the beginning. When I joined the monastery, I kind of came straight out of university. My life begun at 12 p.m. midday. <laughs> and it, you know, it kind of uh, went on till like, you know, the early hours of the morning. And living in the monastery, I was switching the whole uh, time schedule. So it took some time. Of course, there are tips. Early to bed, early to rise makes one healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's always a golden tip. Of course, there are other things you can do. Have a partner, you know, inspire each other. Also, if you have something to go to in the morning where you have some kind of meditation circle, we often do that. That helps you to generate that kind of energy. We generate it in company sometimes to wake up early in the morning. So you have to use these tips and techniques. And for different people, it takes different amounts of time. But uh, when you wake up in the morning, you will see three things will happen. You'll become peaceful. You'll become powerful. And you'll become beautiful. You'll become peaceful in the sense that in those moments, you will gain perspective on life. You see? All worries, all anxieties, all fears come because we don't have perspective. And we don't get perspective because life is so noisy. We can't, we don't have that time. So the morning hours give you that perspective to become peaceful. You become powerful because you invest in the most uh, valuable resource you have, which is your own consciousness. 
In our life, we invest in so many things, but what do people do to invest in the upliftment of their own consciousness? If you invest in that, you invest in that which can make you the most powerful and help you to make the most impactful contribution. And three, you become beautiful because what happens is that we're all actually beautiful people. But what happens is in this world, we become accustomed to acting in envious, greedy, lusty, angry, um, arrogant, harsh ways. And in those moments of the morning, it's incredibly purifying because it helps you to get beyond all those layers of superficiality and find your true spiritual beauty, which comes out. Why though? Why does it clean you up? It cleans you up, as I said, because you're in a space where that noise is not bombarding you. You see, the biggest problem in the world today is that we can't find the focus to clean your heart, to uplift your consciousness requires focus. But we live in an age where there are weapons of mass distraction. So it's just everything is so distracting, opinions, expectations, noises, responsibilities. And so when you wake up early in the morning and you separate yourself from all of that, you generate a type of focus where it can help you to actually uh, recalibrate your vision and readjust your paradigm of who you are and reinstate the principles that you want to live by. Okay. Uh, I have some things to say, which are slightly non-spiritual. I mean, it's neuroscience related. Uh, it's self-improvement related. Uh, I'm a huge fan of someone called Dr. Huberman. He runs a biology podcast in America. He's been on a bunch of other podcasts as well. He constantly speaks about focus, determination, and willpower as the kind of core concept that you can't measure but it's also the differentiator in anyone who starts improving their life. That's all you need. Like, how do you even quantify these things? Focus, willpower, determination. He said that that's the spark you need to create any kind of change on the inside. The neuroscience he speaks about is neuroplasticity, where effectively you can change your entire brain and therefore your entire personality by using these first few things that I spoke about. Your willpower, your determination, your focus. You can actually change your entire personality, your likes, your dislikes, uh, so I know that throughout my life, I've been a night owl, been up till very late and I can see myself gradually sleeping earlier every year. Mm -hmm. Again, I wish to be a part of the 5am club and there's a voice in my head that says, no, maybe your productivity will actually reduce a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. And I'll not know until I actually try it. Um, which is why I'm not being too harsh on myself, but maybe this podcast could be a trigger for me to actually change that. And the other thing that I know very intensely through my own fitness journey is that when you actually take up some intense form of discipline or like an intense switch like this, it increases your discipline muscle in your head. And that then applies itself on your professional life. So discipline this is something I learned from Jai Shetty. Uh, discipline is something that's very difficult to incorporate in your life. But the gift of discipline is that it makes your life very easy. So at the end of this journey, everything's going to become easier. And I, what I loved about what you said is this whole purification thing. This makes a lot of sense to me. This wouldn't have made sense to me two, three years ago mm -hmm. when I was younger. I wouldn't have understood how a habit can actually purify your mind. 
but now i do for example one of my arguments about staying up late is that hey man i'm a media professional it might affect my social life and as i grew older within this media industry over the last 8 years i go to social events i go to lounges uh parties and i'm often just standing in one corner thinking to myself that there's nothing i truly gained for my own consciousness by being here i've been there for my friends i've met some of my friends but my real friends are my friends anyway they're there in my life anyway how deep can any of my relationships get here and the people who are supposed to enter my life are going to enter my life anyway and then i have the privilege of doing this podcast also and the first feeling that i get when i go home is hmm should i spend the last 3 hours meditating or learning or doing something for my own consciousness even if that's just solitude i feel like solitude also gives you benefits so maybe as i'm getting older i am getting inclined to this uh but out of all the conversations i've had about the 5am club this one's the most impactful i feel especially at this phase of my life where you've cleaned up many of your external vices and now it's about cleaning up all your internal vices the arrogance that rises suddenly the anger that rises suddenly the lust of our times in general all this will get cleaned up if you start fixing your life is there anything you'd like to add to this yeah no definitely glad glad to really nice to hear of your journey and um when i read the bhagavad gita i was talking about disruption previously and uh we tend to like to try to synergize with what's going on around us So you talked about yeah I'm a social media person I need to be up late at night because that's when the industry rolls and you know <clears throat> there's a sense in which we can try to synergize with the trends of this world and thereby achieve success but what the Bhagavad Gita and other spiritual literatures do is they give us also the trends of universal nature and you can either decide to synergize with the trends of the material world or you can try and synergize with the trends of material nature now what do i mean by that what krishna talks about in the gita i'm talking about in relation now to the 5am club so i'm blown away by what you yeah. said can you say that line again the yeah. material world and material nature you, what's the line again either try to synergize ourselves with the trends of this material world or we can try and synergize ourselves with the trends of universal nature go on now yeah in this world there are three basic energies sattva goodness rajas passion and tamas ignorance so these three energies are pervading everything in this world So now with regards to time it said that between midnight and 8 a.m. in the morning this is when sattva is prominent the mode of goodness the clarifying energy between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. the middle of the day is when passion or rajas the active energy is prominent and between 4 p.m. and midnight is when tamas is prominent the the ignorant energy the 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 resting energy so now if you synergize your life with those energies the laws of universal nature then you actually become the most powerful 
the most efficient, the most effective, because what you're actually doing is you're synergizing your life with the energies of the world. It's like you're, you're swimming in the stream with the current behind you. So therefore, if one is wise, then between 4 p.m. and 12 p.m., that's when they'll rest their body. From 12 p.m. to 8, 8 a.m., they'll use that time for deep work, internal meditation and uh, focus, spiritual work. And between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m., the middle of the day, that's when they'll do their active work because that's when the en energetic force is there, the active force. So the Gita gives us this opportunity to say like, now let me synergize myself with the energies of the universal nature, rather than just trying to synergize myself with the temporary trends of the world. And if you harmonize yourself with that higher nature, you're gonna flourish. The purification will happen. Yeah. Productivity will increase. Exactly. Okay, yeah. man. Um, there was this, story from the Mahabharata about Arjun's childhood where uh, Dronacharya, the guru, is trying to train all the princes. So he keeps a wooden bird on a tree and then he tells each of the princes to take aim but not fire until he gives the green signal. So he calls up the first prince and he asks the prince, what do you see? And the prince says, I see the bird, I see the sky, I see the tree. He calls the second prince. The second prince says, I see... Uh, you, I see the bird, I see the tree. He calls the third prince. The third prince says, oh, I see the universe. Eventually he calls all the princes and they're all saying that they see different things. The instruction he had given was that you could only fire the arrow into the eye of the bird. So eventually he calls up Arjun and then Arjun says, I only see the eye of the bird. Mm. I see nothing else. This one story which I first came across as a four-year-old watching a Mahabharata television show on TV, stays with me till today. And as I learn about neuroscience and how the brain operates and how important focus is, it's that same story that entered my subconscious mind when I was four. And it helps me through life now, even to navigate through emotional trauma. Because eventually what emotional trauma is teaching you is detachment. But to create the detachment in the first place, you need intense levels of focus mm. to just pull yourself out by discipline, by things like the 5am club. So maybe this podcast is a trigger. I don't know. It's definitely pushed me in that direction. But uh, would you like to conclude this particular part of this episode by saying anything? Because there's a lot of people watching this who are in the same mindset as me that people are curious. People want to now switch this aspect of their life. At least people my age, for sure. I don't know how many people in their 20s would be open to something like this because I certainly wasn't when I was younger, probably even up till like age 28, 29, something has shifted in my head. Could be my own spiritual journey, but I know that this is my next step. What you're talking about. The pain of discipline is uncomfortable, but the pain of regret is unbearable. <laughs> so discipline is uncomfortable. But then later on, if we don't apply ourselves, if we don't know, and if we don't embrace that which we know will awaken our deepest potential, then the regret that we'll look back with later on will be unbearable. And so, again, I, 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 
I think it's really this ability to not give up what you want most for what feels good now. You know, so many people are talking about this nowadays. They realize that this ability to forego what is easy, comfortable, what is familiar, uh, for something higher, for their ultimate aspiration. If we're able to do this, then our life will really flourish in beautiful ways. Yeah. So I wish you the best with the 5am <laughs> club. No, no, thank you. <laughs> I think this is also a great point in the episode to speak about time. Uh, it's a fantastic subject. And uh, I, that's what I love about uh, ancient Indian scriptures. They talk about metaphysical realities in so much depth. Um, I know for a fact that even the world of science has not truly understood what time is. It's just a convenient factor that they use in the equations of physics, but they've not truly understood what time is. So what have you understood about time? In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains time I am, the destroyer of all the worlds. Of course, we know this has become popularized by Oppenheimer <laughs> and is a big, big thing in the world today. Time is basically the force of nature that destroys everything. And this is basically what time is. In time, everything disappears. Our body disappears, our health disappears, our abilities disappear, our beauty disappears, our relationships disappear. In time, everything disappears. But the reason why time is there to destroy everything is to help us understand when everything is destroyed, what remains. And that thing which remains once everything else is destroyed is who we really are. And so the reason why time seemingly acts in such a cruel way in this world to take away everything is actually an exhibition of the greatest compassion of God. Because through the time factor, which takes away everything superficial, it helps us to realize who I actually am. What is actually eternal? In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says in one verse, Nasato vidyate bhavo, na bhavo vidyate sata. Of the material, there is no endurance. And of the spiritual, there is no cessation. And so time is the force which only acts in this material world, by the way. In the spiritual realm, in the transcendent abode, in the other world, there is no influence of the time factor. It only works in this world. Because it's working in this world to help us realize asato, mud, sadgama. Go from the temporary into the eternal. Uh, I'm trying to connect all these things that you're saying with my own challenges because that's the only way you can actually understand the Bhagavad Gita. Am I right in thinking like that? Yes, of course, yeah. That your life is the lab and the Bhagavad Gita is probably the lab manual. Yes. Okay, all right. So any attachment you feel, any uh, wish you feel, is actually just a checkpoint in your road to enlightenment. 
and every soul who's listening to this podcast every soul that's ever existed is eventually going to reach that point of enlightenment at some point in their own soul's journey even the ones that say they do, they don't believe in god the ones who are completely against uh people like yourself eventually they'll reach a point where they'll also become a version of you maybe not now but maybe four lifetimes later uh so will there be a point in the reality of time say billions of years later when the earth explodes and the sun has swallowed the earth where all our souls would have gone up to another realm that would happen right after krishna has spoken the entire bhagavad gita to arjun krishna says something mind blowing itite gyanamakhyatam guyat guyataram maya vimrashe tadashesheena yathechasi tathakuru after krishna has spoken the entire bhagavad gita to arjun krishna then looks at arjun and says i've given you all the knowledge now you think about it contemplate it challenge it now you consider and reflect on everything i've said yata ichha tathakuru and then you do what you want to do so in the bhagavad gita krishna says there are three doers the first doer is the soul us the second doer is the super soul the super consciousness divinity and the third doer is material nature so how does this work say for example this building there was a person who decided there should be a building here that person is a lichen to the soul but then what did that person do they went to the government to get permission and the government granted planning permission to for this building to come up that's like the super soul or the super consciousness and then the builders came in and they built the building that's like material nature so who built this building we could say the person or we could say the government or we could say the material nature or we could say it was a combination of all of them so in this world there are three doers we can desire but then the super soul has to sanction and then material nature has to then facilitate so the secret the law of attraction i'm just pivoting onto this point because i think manifestation is in- interesting what do what would we say about the secret i would say three things there's truth to the secret there's more to the secret <laughs> and there's a secret behind the secret number one there's truth to the secret remember we are one of the three doers so there is a sense in which our consciousness creates reality but there's more to the secret because we're not the only doer there are another two doers who are involved and the third thing i tell people is there's a secret behind the secret because even if you crack the technique of manifesting and attracting whatever you want the secret behind the secret is you have to know what's worthwhile of being attracted because if you just try to attract material things material achievements material possessions even though you will be manifesting what you want you'll still remain unfulfilled because the secret behind the secret is to know what we are really seeking within the core of our hearts okay. um it's a very rudimentary question but i'm still going to ask you this why did 
god if god is equivalent of the government as you said it decides the tickets and the rules why did god create cocaine and cigarettes and alcohol and meat which includes so much suffering uh, all these prior three things eventually cause suffering in the lives of humans so i've always wondered that okay so alcohol is this molecule called ethanol ethanol is chemistry chemistry is physics physics is mathematics mathematics is created by god so it was god's will to place alcohol in this world then alcohol keeps you from reaching him quickly uh maybe you can reach him even while drinking but it'll be a much slower process so what's god's will what creating drugs meat and alcohol well what about if i asked you why did god create prisons in which people have to suffer or why did the government create prisons in which people have to suffer and what would your answer be that two things maybe those people are supposed to be kept away from the other people and uh, to reform those souls yeah it's not that the government creates the prison to make them suffer but it's rather they require a certain experience in order for them to move forward in their journey and the government facilitates that really speaking it's not the government that creates the prison it's people who commit crimes who then force the government to create a prison to help them to reform their consciousness and so it's not god that creates all of these things that keep us away from him it's us who have the desire to be away from him then causing god to create different things which can help us to be independent and separate so therefore we say man proposes god disposes even the entirety of the material world in the vedic tradition we don't actually subscribe to creationism in the strict sense the idea that god created the world because the initial seed of creating this world was the desire of the living entity to be here and then god created the world so it's not god that had a bright idea one day that let's create a material world but it was rather god responding to the desire of the living entity to be separate and therefore god created the world and so why is there alcohol why is there cocaine drugs why are there so many distractions because even to forget god you need god's help <laughs> it's interesting that even people atheists who disbelieve in god their intelligence is given to them by god it's an amazing exhibition of god's ingenuity to design the world in such a way that he can be explained out of the equation because he never forces he never intellectually corners you to have to believe in him and therefore he always creates options facilities ways and means for us to keep ourselves in illusion if we don't want to be in that spiritual transcendent realm i'm giving you a very atheist response to this i personally i'm fully in agreement with you uh i completely understand what you're saying but i know that there's going to be people who'll have further questions when country a bombs country b and some of those kids in country b lose their limbs that's not an outcome of god's will that's an outcome of human will right 
like humans have had that free will of separating themselves from the tiny humans in country b and saying that these humans deserve to die or these humans deserve to be decapitated my question is uh, one where does that evil in those people in country a come from and two what have those children done wrong to be to be killed or to be decapitated i'll first give you a formula and then i'll unpack it and the formula is this if you want to understand the depth of god's love you have to understand the length and the breadth of our existence i'll just say that again the depth of god's love can only be understood if you understand the length and the breadth of our existence here the length of our existence is that we're spiritual beings we're in temporary material bodies inhabiting these frames for some time but the soul can never be destroyed the soul can never be harmed burned by the fire uh, withered by the wind um krishna says in the gita so the soul is eternal and immortal and untouchable when we suffer in this world it's the body and the mind which are uh, the objects of that pain but the soul can never be scarred so even in all the painful situations of this world the soul remains ever protected the second thing uh, this is called the breadth of our existence to understand our identity and the length of our existence means to understand this life is one chapter you can't understand the whole story from one chapter and so when we're trying to understand the depth of god's love how he's lovingly interacting with everyone in this world we won't be able to appreciate it unless we understand the breadth of our existence looking beyond what happens to the body and the mind looking beyond and understanding there's a soul and we won't be able to understand the depth of the love if we don't understand this is a chapter in the longer story there's a length here so in this situation you're talking about where in country b innocent people um seem to undergo such suffering the first thing is undoubtedly that is a suffering situation and as spiritualists we feel deep compassion but on a spiritual philosophical level we understand that nothing happens by chance every experience every interaction every single occurrence in this world is going on under the jurisdiction of divinity and so difficult as it is for us to conceive there's some reason why those souls have to go through that horrific experience but remember the breadth and the length of your existence that even in their suffering the breadth means their soul is unharmed and the length means there's another chapter to their story beyond this life could it be possible that those innocent lives in country b that's gotten bombed that's gotten attacked have done the same to another set of humans in a previous life or have caused that kind of suffering to a set of humans in a previous life is that why they're going through this or are there a bunch of innocent souls as well who've not 
ever done anything wrong and are just um the victims of evil within our world because um this karma angle that we're speaking about there are faiths in the world that don't believe in karma they believe that there's only one life and you're living it right now so there'd be a lot of people fully shut off to this thought and would probably accuse you and me of trivializing this whole situation using the philosophy that you and me believe in would you like to correct me in anything i've said wrong karma is not meant to make us look at people and judge them and try to decode why they're going through certain things the law of karma is meant to help us look at people and say wherever you are whatever you're going through by your activities and by your response now you can create a beautiful future for yourself the more we start employing the law of karma rather than using it to judge others to try to decode the past to try to um you know find answers for things which are incredibly complex rather we should use the law of karma that yes you can act now there are things you can do now there are mindsets attitudes approaches to life that you can employ now which will create a beautiful future for you we are not god it's not for us to judge why someone suffering it's not for us to say that maybe they did that in their life previous life therefore they're going through it anything's possible we don't know but rather we want to use karma in such a way that it becomes empowering it becomes encouraging it becomes uplifting and it becomes something which helps people become what they can become rather than helping them or rather than causing them to feel guilty or bad or uh you know that they've done something wrong okay. does yeah, that make no. sense yeah. uh, it's a way of saying focus on the present exactly that's all you can control yes if you want to build a better future focus on being better on the present exactly because karma philosophy even spirituality when you view it from a hey why did this happen perspective there sometimes there's no answers uh karma is too complex a topic yeah do you want to actually talk about karma a little bit uh prarabdha and all all that we can do yeah. yeah i just wanted to say one thing on this that this is a nice way sometimes to sum it up when it comes to karma instead of looking back instead look up look within and look forward look up at god look mm. up at god and understand that god is compassionate god is all loving god sometimes has plans which are beyond my conception and let me try to connect with that divinity and try to understand number 2 look within you're a soul you're on a journey there's always potential to come out of this and move forward where you are doesn't define who you are you are a spiritual being and even though you're in turmoil there's things you can do as a soul you're empowered and then look forward look at what you can do design your destiny and learn how to act in such a way as to come out of this and come in a a, a more progressive situation in your life okay have you ever thought of your past life like what led to this life and its monkhood as i mentioned at the beginning of this podcast i often thought about that that clearly there was some spiritual journey in a previous life some spiritual exposure 
clearly I can see certain things in my personality that I'm averse towards, which are probably linked to experiences in previous lives. As in what you um, feel are your own shortcomings? It could be shortcomings, it could be phobias, fears, it could be uh, people or situations that I gravitate towards. You can see that probably there was previous lives of exposure to things that create who you are now. So definitely it's an interesting, some people try to do past life regressions in which they try to understand who they were in previous lives. Now I'm not sitting here on the show promoting that or, um, but there are also uh, scientists, professors, there's someone called Ian Stevenson, I don't know if you're familiar, but he's documented 5,000 cases of children having spontaneous past life memories. So these are children who are five, six years old, and they begin spontaneously talking about who they were in their previous life, sometimes somewhere across the other side of the world. Who they were, where they lived, who their parents were, what job they did, how they died. Sometimes he then, then he goes back in history and sees whether such a person existed. And sometimes he even takes children across the other side of the world to a country they've never been to before and they're able to identify things. And then he also begins to show how certain aspects of their personality in this life are connected to that journey from a previous life. So there is a lot of empirical evidence also to suggest that what we're going through now is clearly connected to a conscious existence before this life. Okay. Um, let's understand the nature of karma more deeply. Uh, I believe there's three kinds of karmas, if I'm not mistaken. Please correct me, sir. You could uh, categorize it in different ways, but uh, maybe this is the easiest way to understand karma. That it begins with avidya or ignorance. To be in this world, we have to be in ignorance, some sense of ignorance. Like for a movie to begin, there has to be darkness first. So all our souls have begun by being stupid. Yeah. Otherwise you couldn't be here in this material world unless you're sent from the spiritual world for a higher purpose. And I think it's important to acknowledge yeah. that there are higher souls as well who've chosen exactly. yes. knowledge. Yes. Begins with avidya, ignorance. From there comes something called bijam, which means desire, the seed of desire, material desire. When we have material desire, then the next thing that happens is something called pap which means an, an action which is not congruent with universal nature or what we'd call a sinful action. From pap or a, a, a sinful action comes two types of karma. One is known as prarabdha karma and the other one is known as aprarabdha karma. So prarabdha karma means a reaction that we're experiencing right now. So for example, this body is prarabdha karma. It's, it was created according to previous actions and we're living with that reaction now. We live with this body. 
And then there is aprarabdha karma, which means reactions that are stocked within us that are waiting to fructify in the future. And so, you know, we might be going along in life very nicely and then boom, all of a sudden something may come up. And we think it's just like, why did this just came out of the blue? But it's already aprarabdha karma that was just waiting to fructify. Since the moment of your birth. Yes. Yes, we come into this world with a certain stock of karma that we'll then have to uh, live out. And the purpose of karma is educational. This is super important to understand. Karma is meant to teach us a lesson. It's not that there is some divinity up there who just wants to strike down thunderbolts because we've been out of line but it's a compassionate divinity which wants to give us lessons through the experiences of what we call the school of hard knocks in order to ultimately elevate our consciousness and bring us out of ignorance. It's partially the reason that when you see shorts and reels with old people in them and they ask those old people about what your regrets are in life, what did you learn from life, they have immense clarity yes. because they've been through the process of the karma of that life, learned so much. Through Which is why yeah. Yeah, you should turn to old people for wisdom. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah. They say there's three types of ways in which people learn. The first class person learns by hearing. The second class person, along with hearing, needs to observe. But the third class person needs to not only hear and observe, but then needs to experience themselves. And for most of us, we learn in that way. And therefore we have to go through experiences that we'll open the Bhagavad Gita and Krishna will say something like, Mamupetya punar janma dukhalayam ashashvatam. Krishna will say, this material world is temporary and full of misery. And we'll kind of read that in the Gita and then we'll close it and then we'll just kind of happily go about life without it really registering. But then when we go through a karmic reaction and we experience that misery, then we go back to the Gita, we're like, yeah, this is true, you know? So therefore, karma is almost a, a technique which unlocks and awakens us to the higher reality, um, sometimes in quite uh, harsh ways. Because we have free will, can we hasten our karmas? Can we just pull that string quicker? It's kind of like saying if you're studying in the fifth grade, you study so hard that you don't graduate to the sixth grade, you'd graduate to the eighth grade directly. Uh, but what is the equivalent of studying hard from a spiritual perspective? Is it deep meditation, deep prayer? And if you actually engage in those deep meditations and deep prayers, will intensely bad things happen to you early? Like as if all that prarab karma is hitting you in the form just, of a yeah. truck. Like will something like this happen? I mean, maybe post that life will be easy, but you'll have to go through some immense pain. Yeah. Remember karma is educational. So if we've internalized the lessons that divinity wants to teach us through karma, in one sense that karma has no more use because you've internalized the lesson. Oof. It's almost like say there's a prisoner and they do a crime and the sentence is 20 years in jail. 
But after 10 years, they interview the prisoner and they're kind of like, this is a reformed man. Then they may just say, let him out. So you can clean up certain karmas. Yes. Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Sarva dharman parityaja mamekam saranam braja aham tvam sarva pape bhyo moksha yishyami masucha. If you surrender to that supreme divinity and internalize all of these lessons, sarva pape bhyo, all your reactions can be removed. Now, we have to understand the context of that statement. All your reactions can be removed. removed. Okay. It could mean one of two things. One is that certain bad things or difficult situations or uh, experiences which you were meant to encounter, they may just be cancelled out. There's no need for it to come. Or they may come to you, but what divinity will do is instill you with a strength and a resilience and an immunity, which means when it does come, it won't affect you in the same way. Some things we may have to live out even once we've understood the lessons. Just like in India, they have fans. So imagine you turn the switch off. But after you turn the switch off, still the fan will spin for some time because there's a bit of momentum left. So karma is like that. We have a certain amount of karmic reactions which are due to us. And even when we learn all the lessons and we internalize it, for some time, some karmic reactions may come, which is just clearing out the account. Okay. But what's the practical procedure to gain the knowledge? Slash to hasten your karma, slash to clean up your karmas. I have understood through reading that Deep meditation is one of the means. Am I right in thinking like that? Uh, what is? I think it's a combination of the three things you said before and the fourth thing that I added. Before you mentioned bhakti, vidya, sadhana, and then I added seva. So devotion, devotion, knowledge, knowledge discipline, and service. Through these acts, then what will happen is that removal of ignorance and that awakening of our innate spiritual consciousness will ultimately mean that we don't have to experience the karma anymore. Okay. Um, honestly, a big reason I'm bringing up these questions and these topics on this podcast is because I've always felt internally that my soul wasn't ready to take up the knowledge of the Bhagavad Gita just yet. I didn't know why. I knew it would be a part of my journey. I just sometimes you internally know that hold up. It's not the right time. And I'm starting to feel very gradually that I'm getting towards that right point in time. Now, I don't know why that is. My honest input here is that I've met so many Tantra practitioners on the show who've taught me about the tantric school of thinking and that's slightly darker for sure. But for some reason, maybe due to the circumstances of my own life, that's the path I'm drawn towards. And that's honestly what I love about Sanatan Dharma, that there can be this path and that path and five more paths and they'll all suit you based on your own subjective reality. But by learning about the other path, 
you'll be able to gain for your own path as well that's a part of the reason i'm bringing up all these questions to you the second bigger reason is that um through the show i've ended up meeting cricketers and it begins by the inner child in me being excited that i'm talking to someone that i'm a fan of and then eventually i realize these guys are also human and what i also realize is that the top international cricketers are actually really pure souls that's possibly why god has gifted them that level of success that level of material luxury because these guys are very pure and to play sport at that level i do believe that you need to be a certain level of pure at least that's what i feel when i speak to these guys and all the three of them who are kind of friends to me now uh which is yuzvendra chahal kl rahul and ishan sharma all three of them keep talking about sanatan dharma all three of them have questions about the bhagavad gita and in conversations with them like the reason i'm drawn to them as friends even outside of the show is because all these guys are killers like they're very gritty they're all tigers that energy rubs off on you and i love being around them and that's probably a part of the reason maybe they like being around me that they sense that same aggression for the sake of career but one layer deep below the aggression is an aggression towards the process of learning and they've brought up the geeta so much which is why this thought has been in my head that much and this is why i made this podcast centered around the geeta and its knowledge and it's going to go to all three of them uh and i'm sure their questions are also answered through the course of this whole conversation my question to you is that with guys like this okay who have gained so much luxury in the material world or anyone who gains a lot of material success uh why has god only chosen these souls let's just take the the example of cricket okay for example india is a constant conveyor belt of cricketers but there's very few souls who get selected to play for the national team and there might be very hard working very talented souls who just don't get that opportunity what is god trying to teach the guys who actually get to the top is god trying to teach them that you know what actually all this means nothing is that the lesson are these souls supposed to set an example for the other souls parallelly what is the domestic cricketer who's never got an opportunity to play for india but he's as talented as hard working what's the lesson for him and of course i'm using cricket as an analogy for life in general because this is also how life works in many ways especially when it comes to material success where is the role of extreme material success in a spiritual journey everyone needs a different experience to bring them to spiritual consciousness for some people divinity will arrange a ridiculous amount of fame success uh accolade achievement and as you said they will come to that point where then they realize i've got it all i've done it all i've been there done that got the t-shirt and still something's missing It's interesting that in Vedic teachings there are four stages dharma artha kama and moksha that is said that when one performs dharma some kind of religious piety then what happens is they get artha which means um facility material uh 
facilities, wealth, position, and so on. And from that artha comes karma, which means gratification, enjoyment, as you know, um, pleasure. And then after all of that, what comes next is moksha, which means liberation. Because after all of that artha and karma, they realize there's still a vacuum in my heart. There's still something missing. And then what happens is naturally then the search begins for what is beyond. And so some souls need to go on that journey. Some souls need to go on a journey of extreme pain or some kind of difficulty in their life, which then triggers their journey. Some people need to go through a journey where something causes them to question the world and that's their journey. So everyone has something different. I'll just say one other thing. In the Bhagavad Puran, which is another beautiful literature, Queen Kunti, as we know from the uh, Mahabharat, who underwent so many difficulties, she cites a beautiful prayer. She says, Janmeshwarya Shruta Shribhir Eidhama Namadapuman Nirvarhatya Bidatum Ve Tvamakin Chanagocharam. She says, Good karma is represented in four ways. Janma, a good upbringing, a good family life. Aishwarya, opulence, wealth, material facility. Shruta, intelligence and analytical competence, cognitive ability. Shri, beauty. Anyone in this world who has any four of these, you can understand they have good karma. Can you repeat the four again? Janma, good upbringing, good family, good parents, like that. Aishwarya, wealth, opulence, material facility. Shruta, education, intelligence, intellectual capacity. Shri, beauty, physical beauty, um, attractiveness. And there's some people who have all four. Some people have all four. So are these people a but, representation of bags of great karma? Yes. But the interesting thing is that in this prayer, what Kunti Devi says, Tvam akinchana gocharam. Divinity can only be approached by someone who has become completely frustrated with these four things. <laughs> <laughs> but even these mean nothing. Only when one has lost all the faith in these four material things, only such a person can approach divinity with true sincerity. But these four things that you named are the desires for so many people. These are so desirable. Looking good, having a great family life, having wealth, being really smart. This is what we're conditioned this is what everyone's into looking for. Believing that these are the goals. Yes. If you're not great looking, you want great looking kids. You ideally want a lot of family balance around you. Everyone wants to be rich and famous. And what was the last one? Uh, smart. Smart. Yeah. Everyone wants to be smarter. Yeah. Many letters behind their name. And this is what you're taught <laughs> since like your. Yeah a little child that this is what you need to strive towards and eventually in life you realize ah okay this is not where the answers lie
because looks fade your family will eventually die um time takes away everything yeah time even takes away your mind your mind will deteriorate and uh, of course your looks will deteriorate of course wealth also will lose and a little bit people will disappear from your life so only in your old age you realize ah okay i got to get to god or you learn by observing by hearing by seeing so many people who have achieved all these things but still are looking for something beyond it but one thing i do want to say ranveer is that even if there are here we, as you mentioned this is what everyone is looking for and then one may say well then i'm not ready to give up all of those things does that mean i can't begin my spiritual path no you can still begin your spiritual path there's another verse in the bhagavad puran i'm quoting these verses and i'm saying the sanskrit because the, you know ranveer in the sanskrit is a power there's a potency in that vibration which helps us to instill the realization that's coming from that verse and therefore we try to say the sanskrit as well akama sarvakamo va moksha kama udaradi divraina bhakti yogena yajeta purusham param if one is akama they have no more desires for any of these things or whether one is sarvakama they have all desires for these things this verse says it doesn't matter they should still continue on their spiritual journey and what will happen is in time the realization the revelation that this is not the goal of life that will that penny will drop so even if we we're seeking material things we can still continue on our spiritual journey and what will happen is that in the course of that journey the futility of these things in their ability to bring us true happiness will become apparent within our heart okay again these are all just my questions so so i appreciate the answers and uh, i look at this whole podcast as probably in a way uh, it's myself just recording my own journey but it's always built with an, a very outward perspective either to give back to india or to give back to people who are trying to heal uh and honestly even when i say give back to in- india i'm truly talking about healing cuz uh maybe that's how i articulate my own goal in life it's all about trying to heal the world in the best way that i can so thank you for validating me good sir i hope that i did justice to this conversation uh with you and to all your knowledge and your hustle to gain that knowledge so that's it that's the conversation so thank you so much yeah i really appreciate being here i think we covered a lot of ground and i learned so much from your realizations and your insights and your journey i think for me what i really appreciate about you ranveer is you're able to bring in such a variety of uh perspectives of spiritual uh insights from different corners of different traditions and find a kind of thread between them that kind of beautifully weaves it together and and helps you to move forward in your journey so yeah look forward to seeing your evolution and and your continued beautiful contributions to the world no i really appreciate you sir uh honestly again this is something i'm a 100% sure that my long term audiences know 
which is that my path is becoming more tantric in many ways it's reflecting in the content as well and my spiritual journey began in the world of bhakti mm-hmm. went into the world of kriya yoga and now it's become a much more fierce form of itself mm-hmm. which is why i definitely need satvik conversations <laughs> like this to just balance things out this is like you know the dessert which is also placed on your thali so uh, while i'm eating all that spicy food and challenging myself and channelizing all that aggression into the spiritual journey it's important to remember that i was just a 4 year old watching mahabharat on television and looking at krishna bhagwan like who that guy <laughs> so thank you so uh, i really appreciate your guidance thank you so appreciate much appreciate it that was the episode for today as i said on the show i think the satvik aspect of sanatan dharma is very much needed if you're going down this spiritual growth path and that's what i've always gained from conversations with monks from iskon I hope you enjoyed today's episode and as I said in the intro if you want to further your spiritual journey it's going to happen through meditation it's going to happen through self reflection that's what we've been trying to bring to you the user the seeker through level supermind please download the app check it out it's made for individuals just like yourself if you enjoy these spiritual conversations on TRS i can't tell you what's waiting for you at level supermind so please download the app and begin your mind performance enhancing journey on level supermind today